the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are exploring the heart of Jesus as laid out for us in the book of Romans, chapter 12. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us as we see the heart of Jesus next. We've mentioned it before, and it bears repeating. We are to imitate Jesus, our elder brother. Follow him. And Paul even says, follow me as I follow Jesus. So there is this imitation, this transformation that should be taking place in our lives as believers. And at the heart of that transformation should be the love for one another, just as Jesus Christ has loved us and has given himself for us. That's at the heart of the message we have for you today here in Romans 12, verses 9 through 16. Our message is called The Heart of Jesus. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose with today's Abounding Grace. His heart was so tender, so beautiful, especially when it came to weeping with those who were weeping. Turn to John chapter 11, verse 21. Then says Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here my brother had not died, but I know now that, that even now that whatsoever thou will ask of God, God will giveth thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother will rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said unto him, Yeah, Lord. I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. It's interesting. When Martha perhaps struggles with doctrine, she sees Jesus. Now verse 28 of John 11. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master has come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came... With her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Notice that when Jesus saw Mary and Martha, he didn't say, What are you crying for? I'm here. He didn't even use the truth that your brother will rise again on the last day as a reason to be kind of emotionally distant from them. He saw those whom he loved weeping. 
He saw death, and when he stood in front of Lazarus' tomb, he probably saw gaping before him his own destiny. And even though he was God and man in two natures, one person, yet the God did not keep the man and the whole person from being deeply grieved as he saw what sin had done to his creatures. He was no unfeeling savior or mediator. He took upon himself all of our griefs, all our sorrows, and he exhausted them by his omnipotent sympathy. And clothed in our flesh, his sensitivities were deep. They were engaged and unspeakably pure. And here the Lord of the covenant weeps. We don't have a direct record in the Gospels of him rejoicing because his joy was yet before him. But we do know that he wept. And in many respects, we are saved by his tears, even as we are saved by his blood, because he did not go to the cross as an unfeeling Savior. What kind of Savior would that be who did not enter into the feelings of our infirmity and who would be unmoved by our tears? What kind of Savior would it be if he were cold and icy? Could we then ever go to him on our deathbed? or when we have fallen because of our temptation, or because we need comfort in our trials. Jesus was no machine. He was no ethereal spirit. He was not, well, I cry in private, but I won't let anyone see. No, he was a living, breathing, flesh and blood who entered deeply into our miseries and joined with the glory of his eternal Godhead. He wept with a depth of understanding our Creator weeping, our Redeemer weeping. This, beloved, is one of our greatest comforts. And we need to remember that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, wept for us when all our tears were self-deserved. Every tear you have ever cried, you deserved. In fact, we all deserve more because of our sin and rebellion against God. If we had not sinned and rebelled, We'd have never shed a tear. So ultimately, all tears in some way are traced back to, it's all my fault. I brought this weakness upon myself. But the Lord Jesus has taken all of that upon himself, and he has grieved for us. Remember that when you're struggling this week. The Savior who died for us, who rose for us, who was interceding for us. It says in Hebrews, he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities and our weaknesses because he was at all points tempted as we were and yet never sinned. And remember John 11, that Jesus stood at the grave of Lazarus and he saw what sin did and he saw what death was and he saw how it separated And he saw Mary weeping and Martha weeping and his heart was grieved at its core. He feels, he loves and united with him. Paul says back in Romans 12, we have the same spirit. We have the same mind. We are like Christ when we cry with our brothers and sisters who are weeping, even over the world of unbelief. If you haven't cried over the condition of our our nation, You need to take a little time and ask yourself why. Jesus cried over Jerusalem and they crucified him. 
And he would later destroy that wretched city. But when we cry and we weep, it is the heart of our Savior reaching out and loving and comforting the hurting and mourning over man's depravity. These tears can't be faked. They're more than common sympathy of, oh, someone is crying over there, pat, 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 I wish I could do something. But men who don't know the comforter, they can't comfort. Those among our professing Christian friends who are not walking with the comforter cannot comfort. We need to pray that the Lord, it says in Psalm 25, 14, would show us the secrets of his covenant, the intimacy, the nearness of his covenant, so that our hearts aren't just icy cold. If you're a simple theologue, you don't know Christ. If you're a cold doctrinaire or a lover of self, but you can't cry with Christians, you need to go back to kindergarten when it comes to being a disciple of Christ and learn his heart. Beloved, his heart is alive and it's vibrant and it weeps with those who weep and rejoices with those who rejoice. So Jesus draw near to us. We walk with him and there is a oneness we have within the body that is far deeper than any blood bond. Blood bonds are all going to perish. Just understand, your children will not be your children in heaven. Now they are your children, and you love them dearly. But that relationship, if your children are believers, becomes brother, sister. For we have but one master. It is the same with your spouse. Now we don't understand how it's all going to be, but it's not going to be clannish. Well, I'm going to be staying with the Wagners in heaven because I know them, or I'm going to stay with the Loomises, or I'm going to stay with the Lees. We're all silly on earth with our clannishness because we don't see the deeper bond is the one that we nourish among ourselves. As we worship the Savior and love the Savior and have his heart formed more in us so that we rejoice with one another. And even though a brother may have a joy that I will never know, and he may get a promotion I will never have, or possess something I will never have, or he may weep over things that don't trouble me at all, but at some deeper level than blood and even understanding, those sorrows become mine. Those joys become mine. And a little bit, as I walk with Christ, I am able to rejoice with him and to cry with him. It is Christ's own heart rejoicing. We don't worship a dead Savior. Jesus' heart is not encased in a glass museum container at the right hand of God. He prays. He rejoices. And at some level, we must say, He even weeps. Because all the tears won't be wiped away until the last day. I can't say that with certainty. But He certainly enters into the feelings of our infirmities. And He knows them. And he says, now you go and do likewise. With my strength, with my power, you go and do likewise. In verse 16, we're told to how, how to just a little bit. For these are commands in their own right. And they are deeply connected to everything we see here. I mean, how can I rejoice with a brother if I don't have one mind with him? How can I weep with a brother if I don't have one mind? Now, this means more than just we all have the same opinions. Because even if we don't have the same opinions, we have the affection, or we should, for we all love our Lord. 
and he is one. We love his truth. We're humbled before his cross. The beating heart of every Christian beats over the same thing. Christ in us. The love of God in Christ. The love of God's truth. The love of God's people. These are things that are not varying. This is our common heart that beats within. So if we can't necessarily all arrive at the same opinion about doctrines or practice on earth, there's something far higher and deeper. And that is the feeling of affection that we ought to have for one another. What concerns one brother brother should concern us all, assuming that it is worthy of our concern. How about older believers? Do you enter into the place, their place in life? Do we even try? Do we try to think with oneness, one mind, one heart of what our sick are going through in our midst? What about our young people? Oh, my word. Can you believe that young person did that or dresses like that or said that? Yeah, I can because I did the same thing because I was once young and immature and foolish and trust me in some ways I still am. And if I can't enter into that with them, I'm pretending to myself mainly that I have always been as wise as I am now. I've always been as godly and mature as I am now. And that's hogwash. When you were a child, you thought like a child and you spoke like a child. We've got to enter into the desires and the needs and the weaknesses of the young people to be of one mind with them if we are ever going to condescend to them. And the verb condescend in this verse is really interesting. It means to put yourself into the current of something, to yield yourself to the influence of something. So on the one hand, we're not supposed to mind high things. You know, I really don't have time for fellowship today because I'm trying to discover the secrets of the universe. I really don't have time to pray and go over that long prayer list every week because I'm minding the high things of me, my family. That's all I really have time to do. That's the high mountain mark. Me, my concerns, my work, my reading, my hobbies, whatever it may be. No, Paul says, forget all that garbage as a priority and condescend to the men of low estate, the poor, the weak. Get into the stream with them. Yield to the young father who's struggling and wants to know how to be a better father because maybe his father was absentee. So the older fathers have got to get into the stream with him and help him and encourage him and hopefully he'll be humble enough to even ask. Or the young mother who is stretched too thin and is juggling a hundred things. The older mothers need to get into the stream with them and yield to those things. Oh, no, I'm past all that. Just let me pontificate from the mountaintop. That's not condescending. Condescending is when we get into the stream and we encourage and help and say, do you know what, young mother? Your problems are my problems. Because when one member suffers, all the members suffer with them. And if one is weak, all are weak. And to the younger father, the elder father, say, listen, it's not like I've arrived and I can now just retire. I'm going to dive back into the pool 
because I have a vested interest, says the older fathers and the younger fathers being faithful and worshiping God with their family and disciplining their children. So we don't mind. We're past all of that. How many times have we heard people say over the years, I'm so glad my children are out of the house. Let me encourage you that as the body of Christ, look around you. And as long as we have one child in this congregation, the children are not out of your house. You made vows to those children at baptism, remember? You have responsibilities to nurture, to assist, to help. Don't mind the high things. Some of us do a lot of reading on current events. Let me ask you, and all the current event reading you have done, has it changed anything? Has it made any material difference in the city of man, in its madness? No. None. None. Now, I'm not saying to be ignorant, to be a no-nothing. But we do much better saying, you know what? I'm going to spend maybe a little of my time in minding high things. And with the other part of that time, I'm going to pray for the younger fathers and the younger mothers and the young people. And maybe once a month I'll go and seek out someone who's older than me because I need some encouragement. And maybe the next month I'll go and seek out someone who is younger so I can encourage them. We're not to mind the high things. It is pride. It is just pride. You are not God. I know there are many in the world who believe themselves to be gods, but they are not. They are worms with superhero costume capes on their backs. And they are pretending. We are to yield ourselves to the lowly, to the needy, to the weak. But we can't do this without the last phrase of verse 16. The last command. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Let me tell you. If you think you have all of the answers, like you read on some of the Facebook posts, then your heart is like a block of ice. Remember what Paul told the Corinthians. If you think you know anything as you ought to know it, you don't know anything. So when it comes to how we assess reality, how we assess where we are in life, how we assess one another, we're supposed to have lowliness of mind. And we're supposed to say, Lord, I don't have to understand this person. All I need is sympathy for them, even as I need sympathy from them. If you're older, you need the vision of the, and the strength of the younger. If you are younger, you need the wisdom of the older. And if you don't seek it, you are a fool. And your heart is a block of ice. Yeah, but I know all the answers. Everyone else is an idiot except for the people in my peer group who also think and have the same answers as I do. But notice the Holy Spirit here says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Have the lowliness and meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Can you imagine? Here is Jesus with Peter for all those three years. The Lord, I'm sure, heard Peter bluster so many more times than we have in the Gospels. Lord, I love you. I'm going to die with you. I'll never leave you. Yes, you will, Peter. No, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. Peter, you're going to fall. No, I'm not. 
You're going to deny me. No, I'm not. You're going to deny me, Peter. No, I'm not. This went on and on. Lord, can we sit on your right hand and on your left hand when you come into your kingdom? No, but you can wash feet. And by the way, whose feet have you washed recently? Because if you haven't washed feet, you don't understand anything. You understand nothing. Because it's not our intellectual prowess. It is not our answers that the world is ever going to flock to. Dead men don't want answers, my friends. And they just pretend they are alive. But the things that suddenly introduce light into the graveyard of unbelief is Christians washing the feet of Christians and not taking up grudges and not holding offenses and not politically politicking behind the scenes and not desperately trying to get others to believe things from my perspective. No, it is zip it, kneel and wash feet. For by this all men will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Now to finish with Peter and Jesus. Jesus went to the garden that night and Peter is the one Jesus told everything that was going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed Jesus is, Judas is the one who's going to betray me. So here come the soldiers with their torches. Peter was, of course, sleeping, but Jesus had just been praying, and maybe Peter heard it somehow in his subconscious. Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. There the soldiers are. And Peter thinks they should fight these truths. Come on, Lord, we can do this. The Lord says, Peter, put your sword up. And later that night, Peter falls into the pit. He said he wouldn't three times as the Lord is standing there and he is being condemned and arraigned before an unjust court, although he was really being arraigned before his father in heaven as the Lord is passing through the courtyard on his way to, I believe it was Pilate. He turned and looked at Peter. What a contrast. The Peter who was saying, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And here is the Lord of glory who washed feet and is standing there as the lamb led to slaughter with courage, standing alone at that moment. And then for the first time in his life, Peter knew himself. I've been minding the high things. I've been thinking that I could talk, fight, work, do something to change what I'm hearing. And yet here is the one who washed the feet, now able to stand with boldness and take upon himself all the sins of the world. Whenever you read of these virtues, please think about Jesus, blessing those who curse you, weeping with those who weep, minding not high things. He was the Son of God. Can you imagine this? Even as he hung on the cross, he was still as God, ruling the universe by his power. And a little bit earlier, he was washing the feet of his disciples. If that is not our example, I don't know if we have a better, have another example in all the Bible that is better of how we are to treat one another. The lowliness of heart and mind, the meekness. We ought to say with John the Baptist, people were coming to John saying, John, everyone is following Jesus. And John said, good, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. Can you imagine going to a wedding? Let's say you're the best man. 
and all the wedding party is lined up on the platform, and there's the groom and you, the mess man. And you go up and you just punch the groom in the nose and say, no, I want to stand there. I want to be in the main place. I want everyone to recognize me and see me and love me and hold my opinion. You and I would think, oh, that's pretty stupid. And yet that is what we do whenever as Christians we don't say with John, he must increase, but I must decrease. My joy is to hear the bridegroom's voice. That is my joy. I just want to sit at his feet. I don't care if anyone knows I'm even there. I just want to know and love the Savior. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Seek from Jesus the heart of love. Because if we walk with him, we will also love like this. He doesn't intend to keep us at a distant distance. He will always share his loving, serving, generous heart with us because we are one with him. He is the head and we are his body. So let's pray that our families and congregation will look more like this, that will look more like Jesus. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org. And if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org. Or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.